Now this morning, in align with our theme for the year, which is deeper. We want to go deeper into the things of God, into the knowledge of His Word, deeper in discipleship, deeper in our relationship with one another, deeper in love with Jesus, more and more each day. That is the goal for 2020. So, as we start off this morning, you know, Pastor Mark talked about last Sunday that the Word would stay in our hearts. And when we apply, it's about applying the Word. Because when we apply the Word, our lives will never be the same. And this morning, God has a word for you. I'm just his vessel. And today's word, when you apply it, I guarantee you, not based on who I am, though I'm pretty awesome because God is my father. You have to be confident, right? Okay. In Christ. But based on the word of God, when you live according to his word, 2020 will be super amazing. God's word affirms it. So we're going to look at three questions today. The first question is, who am I? So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, who am I? You got, to like, you got to do this. Who am I? And the second question is, who are you with? Who am I with? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, who am I with? And the third question we'll look at to answer is, who is at my table? Turn to your neighbor. Who is at my table? And we'll look at Galatians 3, 26, 27, 28. And each verse will attempt to answer these three questions. And to make it really easy for you to understand, they are the ABCs of the gospel. So it's very simple. A, B, and C will correspond to those three questions. Are you ready? Excellent, I'm ready too. Galatians 3, 26, 27, and 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So to understand this text fully, we need to understand the background of this letter and the culture in Roman time. So when, when Paul writes in verse 29, uh, in 28, it says, there's not a Jew nor Greek, so there's a, there's a group there. There is not a slave nor free, another group there. And there is not a male nor female. So there are three distinct groups that he addresses. So in that time, the identity of a Christian, of a believer, is very rooted in the first group, which is their ethnicity, their race. It's like, how Jewish are you? How Gentile are you? Which is like, you know, Roman, Italian, you know. So it's based on that, that's their identity. And the second group is, it's based on their status. Are you a slave? Or are you a free person? So it's based on that. And even within slaves, you have classes. You know, if you're like, if you're a slave in Imperial Rome, you work for the emperor, you're, you're a decent slave because you work at the palace. But if you're a slave in a normal household, you're, you're just a, a slave. It's different, right? So even within it, there's classes. And the third group is, are you male or female? 
And again, in Roman time, the males, they dominate totally like kind of, what I go say, I'm the master of the house. I'm the captain. Right? There's no compromise. There's no loving one another, that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's the culture of the time. So the identity of believers are rooted in those things. Okay, so that's the culture. And then the purpose of the letter that Galatians write, not Galatians write, that Paul writes to the Galatians. Now, the church in Galatia is the church that Paul has started. So he's the pioneer, he's the senior pastor. He started a church, it's growing. He leaves the church, appoints some leaders, and heads off to start another church. That's what he does. Amazing Paul. Thank God. Otherwise, we would not have a majority of the New Testament today. So in his absence, Jewish Christians from another church comes, which we'll look at in... So this is the background. Galatians 2, 11 to 14. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? So this is the context of Galatians 3. Paul, in his absence, he heard of news that these Jewish Christians from James' church. So in first century Roman time, you have the pillars of the faith. You've got Peter, James, and John, you know, the original 12 big guns, you know, they're like the mega church pastors, woo, right? Everybody knows about them. Everybody follows them, right? So Christians from James' church visit Galatia, Paul's church. And they began to teach a different thing. They say, hey, hang on, you guys. Because Galatia, they are full of Gentile believers, right? They're not Jewish. So the Jewish Christians come, come and visit the Gentile church. Hey, why are you not obeying the Torah, which is the law? Why are you not observing kosher? Why are the males not circumcised? So you're talking about 30, 40-year-old Christians, you know, to circumcise. That's just not on. Why are you doing this? And so they begin to impose the law upon the Gentiles. So Paul hears of this, and he writes this letter. That is the purpose of the letter. He writes to, to, to them and says, it's a strong letter. Come on, that's not on. And he began to recount his experience with Peter, one of the, another big gun, the pillar of the faith. He said, you know, Peter was there, and he withdrew. And I withstood him to, the, to his face. So it's a very strong letter, right? Because this letter is being read out, and it says, I withstood Peter in the face. How can you do that, Peter? You are setting such a bad example. And because of Peter's status, everyone began to follow him. They all kind of got confused. So there was a distinction, there was disunity. That was what's happening in the background. Now, it's important that you have this picture in your mind because it will set up our entire morning in the next 35 minutes. So I want you to see 
what this actually looks like, but in a contemporary fictional Im of my imagination. Are you good with that? Let's check it out. It's not every day you get to see the Avengers and the Justice League turn up in church. <laughs> this happens when you have three sons, okay? So in my mind, these are the things that I see. <laughs> and then, you know, being a children's church pastor doesn't help either, okay? So. But think about this. Okay, let me explain. If you're a comic geek fan or Hollywood type thing, you'll understand. But if you're not, I'll just give a very brief explanation. So you have two groups, right? You have the Avengers. They're kind of like, we're so awesome, our movie made a billion dollars. And you've got the Justice League. Yeah, we made 600 million. Rotten Tomatoes, 40%, not so great. So that's kind of like, there's a faction happening right here. So you have the Avengers who think they're so awesome. The Justice League who are kind of new to the picture, but they're a bit insecure. So there are factions, disunity. But the thing is this, they're trying to coexist. They're trying to live together as one. And in this comic universe, that is an unlikely conclusion because they're both from a different universe, right? So you've got the Avengers that exist in a different universe and you have the Justice League in another different universe. So that's what's happening. So when you read Galatians 2, the background, this is what's happening. You have the Jews and the Gentiles. Now they've all become Christians and they have to learn to live together as one. That is an unlikely, impossible task in first century ancient Roman time. Very difficult. And so that's what they're trying to do. Now Peter, Peter is one of the main apostles and he's setting this great example because the scripture says he was actually living like a Gentile. So he was eating with them, which means he was eating pork. He was having bakute. He was having bacon and ham and all this kind of stuff, which is not allowed. 
right? Because it's non-kosher. So for the Jews, like, wow. So when these Christians, these Jewish Christians from James's church visit, to Peter, why are you eating pork? And Peter's kind of, all of a sudden, he's kind of like, he gets cold feet. And under peer pressure, say, oh, yeah, actually, you know, I shouldn't really be hanging out with you Gentiles. Like, you know, this guy, you know, he's from James's church, you know, it's just not looking very good because I am Peter, right? I am the Peter, the apostle of the Jews. So he withdraws. So that's why when Paul sees that happening, he's like, oh, and he withstood Peter to the face and begins to tell him off. So that is what's happening now. The issue then, what is the issue of this disunity? Because the message that Peter sends to the churches, because think about it, he's like this awesome senior pastor. The moment he withdrew from the Gentiles, he's saying to the Christian world at that time, to all the believers, you're not good enough. You are not really one of us unless you circumcised your males. Unless you stop eating pork, no more ham for you, no more bacon, then you can be part of God's family. That's the issue that was going on. So for a Gentile believer, they're kind of like, wow, that hurts, man. What is going on? So our first question of who am I? Who am I? Because this relates to your identity as a believer. And when you and I, we get this right, we get everything right. Because when you know who you are, how you behave, what you choose, how you live your life, will stem from that very position. We need to get this right, so it's really important. So now, we look back at Galatians 3, verse 26. So Paul says to them, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now when he says you are sons of God, it means sons and daughters of God because it's not meant to be a gender word per se because it's about sonship. That's the meaning of the text. It's, a, it's about sonship. And because in first century Roman time, only the sons inherit. That's why in verse 29, he says again, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And you are Abraham's seed, heir to the promise. So it's about sonship. It's about inheritance for the Christian. Now, why is this so important? Now, the first answer to our question of who am I is adoption. Adoption. So you and I, we have been adopted into God's family. Why is that a big deal? So for us in modern times, when you adopt a baby, you adopt a baby, right? When someone's really young, usually. Actually, all the time. People adopt babies or really young children. 
And the fact is, you don't know how baby will turn up. Baby could be like a, you know, when he or she grew up, could be upstanding citizen, yay, or some crazy person. We just don't know. But in Roman time, you adopt an adult. So if I was the Roman emperor and I adopt one of you, I adopt Pastor Josh, yep, I adopt you, my son, because you're awesome. You have good moral standing, good moral values, you have a gift. I adopt you into my family. And so he receives full status as my son. That's weird. <laughs> Just even say that loud. But yes, you are my son, whom I love. You receive full status. All I have is yours. My kingdom of Rome, because I'm the emperor. So he receives full status. So for a normal household, even if you're not an emperor, you adopt someone. That's the same thing. They receive full status, full right, as if they were a natural-born son or daughter. So that's the understanding when a Gentile or Jewish believer reads this letter. And so when they say, wow, you mean I have been adopted into God's family? You see the difference? For an adult, it's like, wow, I've been adopted in God's family? That is a big deal because it means like, it's based on who you have become. And who we are is like, we are not that morally upright. We could never fulfill the law. We could never fully love. But God says, I adopt you anyway. So when they read this, like, wow. So it changes their perception of who they are and their identity in Christ. It totally transformed them because it's like, okay, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be Morally outright, but I will pursue that. I don't have to love. I will love as best as I can, but I will fail. But I have been adopted into God's family. So all of a sudden, the identity is kind of like, wow, this is who I, who I am. Now, so when, they, when Peter withdrew, it kind of attacks their identity. Because the message of, okay, you're not good enough, you're not like one of us. You're different. You eat pork. You're unclean. You need to change. When they read that, it's kind of like, wow. You know, I have the greatest parents ever. Right? So we make sure this is recorded, okay, because I need to say it. But my parents, they loved me. They raised me. They gave me everything I could ever have nearly everything that I need, but not what I want, which is okay. And even till now, I have great relationship with my mom and my dad. But seven, eight years ago, we had, I had this tension with my mom. It's all good now. Anyway, by the way, thank you for asking. <laughs> I'm not hurting anymore. But in that moment, I still remember, because some things you remember, right? We're standing in my backyard, it's this lime tree here. And we're having this conversation because my first son was just born. He was like a few months old or something. And we talk about, you know, career and stuff like that. And my mom asked me, how's things that work, you know? How's the bank and how's your job? And all that kind of stuff. It's, it's always about this sort of stuff, right? Come on, parents, do we have anything to talk about with our children? Anyway. So, and the conversation came up about 
um, what I was going to do. And, and by then, I had been in the industry for a long time, like 15 years or whatever. And then I said to my mom, you know what? And this after com many conversations with her, I said, you know what, mom? One day, I will resign. You know, I'm not going to stay in this bank. It's been a great season. You know, I, 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 I'm being blessed by it, but I will resign. I'm going to, go to Bible, I'm going to go to Bible college, and I'm going to be a pastor. And you know what my mom said? Nothing. Nothing. You know what's worse than nothing, right? It's like nothing. Because <laughs> if, if, if someone disagrees with you or says something, okay, you can't, okay, it's explicit, right? But when it's nothing, the wound cuts really deep. Think about it. And it's nothing. Actually, my mom did say something. She did like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So the message was, because we've talked about it, me and my mom, the message was, you're so irresponsible. How are you going to feed your family? How are you going to send your son to school? You're irresponsible. You're such a disappointment. That was the message. So all, all of a sudden, there's this, this idea of, of rejecting my identity. There's an abandonment. There's kind of like, there's a disappointment. So how do you deal with these sort of things? This is exactly why you need to know who you are in Christ. Because who you are, what you do, is not based on the approval or acceptance or acceptance, or the perception of what others will say and think about you. Because your identity is full in Christ. Now let me say this, it's really important. We need to honor our parents. We need to walk with honor. Walk in humility. Be humble. Do justice. But you are to please God. And so the only way that I could pursue what I know was God's plan for me was because I know I've been adopted. I have full status as his son, as an heir to his throne. So for you, whatever you are called to, and all of you are called to be the minister of the gospel. Amen? Amen. All of you, no exception. For me as a pastor, this is my vocation for now. Right? For you, you are all called. I'm not the only one that's called. Not all the pastors are called. All of you are called. But you may experience, most likely, actually most definitely, you will experience rejection and abandonment when you stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you need to know who you are. And so if you have a dream, you need to pursue it with all your heart because there's not enough time in this world to do what God has called you to do. Who am I? You are adopted. This is who you are. And the second thing is this. The second question is, who am I with then? So Paul writes in the next verse, in verse 27, he says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's two things here I want you to, to notice. The first word is baptized into Christ. Now, what are you baptized into? Now, 
The word baptized here is not limited to just water baptism, which is really important. If you have not been water baptized, you need to do it. It's not an option because it's a commandment, right? And it would be crazy not to do it because there can only be good things that come out of being water baptized. But when Paul says here, you are baptized into Christ, it's based on 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. It says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greatest part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, which is Paul, one born out of due time. So, there are four things here. Right? Paul writes to say, there's four things here that Christ did for us. The first is, he died. And the second, he was buried. The third, he was resurrected. And the fourth, he walked among the disciples after he was alive. So four things. So when Paul writes that you have been baptized into Christ, that's what you are baptized into. So when you are baptized, it's like you reenact in the Spirit exactly what Christ had gone through. So at every point of that baptism, you are being transformed into His very likeness at each point. So the first one was, when, you, when He died, you died. You have been, you are dead to sin, dead to the flesh. And the second point, you have been buried in baptism. All your past, all your sins have been forgiven and buried. And the third thing, you are alive now just as he was because he was resurrected. You are now alive to God. And the fourth thing, which is the most powerful thing, which is right now, when Jesus arose, he walked among the disciples in the flesh, in his full glory. And you reenact that when you are baptized into Christ. You are walking in His full glory, even now, with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you are baptized into. And the second thing is, He says, now that you're baptized into Christ, now you can put on Christ. Now you can put on Christ. And what does it mean to put on Christ? Romans 13, 12 to 14. You guys good? Romans 12, 13 to 14. It says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So when Paul writes, put on Christ, this is what it means. Because for the believer, for the Christians in Roman time, especially the Gentile believers, they have just come out of a culture of that. 
excessive drinking, immorality, godlessness. So they see that every day, every night. That's what takes place because that's the culture. It relates to the gods that they worship, all these Roman gods, statues and stuff. And so when he says, hey, when you walk out, you better put on your armor. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Christ. And that's how you cannot gratify the flesh. Think about it. When you wake up in the morning, what do you, what do, you do? What is the first thing that you do? When you step out to work, you put on some clothes, right? You don't go to work naked. You don't go to school naked, right? You wear some clothes when you go to work or to school, to university, to college, whatever it is that you do. You, you step out of your house with some clothes on. But think about it. How many of us sometimes, when we walk out, we are naked in the spirit? Have you thought about that? We walk out into this godless world without any clothes on. Right? There's this. I want you to look at this, right? Because there's this image in my head because I have three sons. Could I show you what it looks like in the spirit to put on some clothes? Would you like to see it? What? I didn't hear you. Would you like to see it? Yes. Okay, let's check it out. <coughs> so you think about this, right? When you receive Christ, it's almost as if you receive a gift salvation. Right? You have been fully equipped. But when you don't put it on, I wonder what happens. You are ugly. You are incompetent. You're lustful. You're prideful. You're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. Your family doesn't like you. You don't have friends. You can't do this job. You're not good enough for it. Nobody likes you. You have no purpose. So in the spirit, it's kind of, so being naked in the spirit is kind of like that, right? But what happens when you put on the full armor of God? Ugly. Psalm 139 verse 14, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You are incompetent. Romans 8, 37, I am more than a conqueror. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I'm a new creation. My past is my past. (laughs) 
jokes aside, right? But honestly, yeah, come on. I did come back to that. But think about this. In the spirit, this is actually taking place. Because scripture is clear. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. I mean, Ephesians 6 talks about the full arm of God. We, are, we have no time to talk about it. But this actually takes place. So you need to remember, because that should be in your mind. Every day when you go out, you put on the armor of Christ. You put on the armor of light. That's how you can live as a believer. So the, two questions, the first two questions we've answered. The first question is, who am I? You have been adopted into God's family. You have full status as a son and a daughter in Christ. The second question, who are you with? You're with Christ because you need to put him on. You've been baptized into Christ. And the third and final question is this. Who is on my table? Who do I dine with? Who do I have coffee with? Who do I have brunch with? And that speaks volumes in that culture. Right? Because who you eat with, it means I accept you. You're one of us. And that's really important. So, Galatians 3.28. When Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, we're all one in Christ. That's who we are. That's the picture of the church. I'm just going to get the Avengers and Justice League one more time because we're running out of time. Can we get these guys to come up one more time? Give them a hand again. <laughs> Let me just finish it up. Um, because as a church, we are as diverse as we can be. So in Paul's time, it was unlikely, it was super unlikely for the Jews and Gentiles to be eating together. It was impossible, but because of what Christ achieved, the freedom, you can eat pork chops, it's okay, it's not unclean. That spoke volumes. So they all sat and dined together. That was the message, that you accept one another, you you dine together. So the picture of the church is that, as diverse as you are, right? But the truth is, like, sometimes with these guys, they all have their differences. You've got, like, Captain America, who's really 100 years old, stuck in a 20-year-old body, you know? You have, like, Spider-Girl, which I invented because the costume for Spider-Man was too expensive. Um, you know, she's trying to inherit this, this power and live up to Spider-Man's expectations, right? It's just the issues. And you've got Iron Man, self-proclaimed genius, billionaire, whatever, right? But he's got issues, you know? He's just hiding behind a mask. He's trying to prove himself, right? He's trying to prove himself. Hey, I'm so smart. Look, I created this armor, nanotech. And then you've got, like, Batman, who's just depressed. Think about it. Who wears a bat suit and jump from building to building in the, in the night? He's depressed, man. Poor guy. Obviously. You've got like Superman and Supergirl. They're just aliens. They're not even from around here. They're from Krypton, right? They're from 
foreigners. But with the unlikely combination of the Avengers and Justice League, you might as well. But having said that, whilst they have their things that they carry, but they are also full of their own gifts and abilities. I don't need to say that, you all know. They're all different. They're all powerful in their own way. They're all gifted in their own way. But it's a place to start. Bottom line is, God has called us. As 